Welcome to the Citizen Reformers podcast, dedicated to telling inspiring stories of citizens making democracy work. A growing number of grassroots initiatives have emerged to promote creative solutions to issues such as gerrymandering, restrictive voting practices, polarization and tribalism, and the influence of big money and special interests. Citizen reformers are working in a nonpartisan or cross-partisan fashion to reform the system, establish common sense accountability, encourage safe spaces for constructive dialogue, and help ensure that citizens' votes actually do count. Unfortunately, headlines and news coverage rarely include stories about these reform initiatives. The Citizen Reformers podcast's objective is to help Americans become more aware of the compelling stories of ordinary citizens making democracy work to affect change on everyday issues, whether at the national, state, or local levels. Hope is contagious. Ordinary citizens can and are standing up for common sense solutions. Citizen Reformers are engaging established political parties, big money, and corporate interests, and winning. These stories are about actions that you can join, support, or replicate on your own. Our hope is that more Americans will become motivated to actively engage on issues that affect their communities. Today's episode has been produced in conjunction with The American Leader, a nonprofit, progress-oriented news and knowledge center, which is committed to giving the public an unrelenting view of the systemic problems that affect our lives and the progress being made to resolve them. Rather than report on breaking news, the American leader gathers the best available data points and connects them so that the reader can stay focused on the problems that matter most. Today is Tuesday, October 15th, and I'm Michael Deal, your host and producer of Citizen Reformers. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Katie Fahey, who started a grassroots movement to amend the Michigan state constitution to end partisan gerrymandering. Following the 2016 election, Katie Fahey's Facebook post started a 5,000-plus volunteer grassroots movement, collecting over 425,000 signatures to support an amendment to Michigan's Constitution to establish an independent citizens' redistricting commission to end gerrymandering. The amendment passed with 61% of the vote on November 6, 2018. Katie, um, I guess following the the 2016 elections, your Facebook post initiated an over, what, 5,000 volunteer grassroots movement, collecting 425,000 signatures to support an amendment to Michigan's constitution to establish an an independent citizens redistricting commission to end gerrymandering. And the amendment was passed with 61% of the vote on November 6th, 2018. That's an amazing story. And uh, I I know that it's been covered, but would like to probe on a few things. And in fact, I just saw yesterday an article in the Fulcrum that interviewed you. And in reflecting on your success, you, you mentioned that you would ask yourself many questions. You know, why did this Facebook post go viral when others did not? Why did it resonate with so many different people? And, and what inspired thousands of people to use their vacation days, nights, and weekends and resources to collect signatures and talk to their neighbors about civics. So people from all different ideologies, you said, wanted a system of government that treated them equally. And that was the idea that we could all get behind, and, and you did. So I guess 
I, I really, I think those questions that you were asking yourself are ones that I would like to have you elaborate on. I understand you weren't in politics uh, at all um, before. And and so I, I guess I, maybe an initial question is, could you explain what got you so frustrated in 2016 that led you to post the Facebook, you know, on Facebook? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been frustrated for a while. It was pretty clear just from not only how you talk about politics, but people's responses when you want to talk about politics, that it was kind of a, a frustrating system um, where a lot of people felt like they were settling or not heard or um, like it was really corrupt. And it's kind of why I never wanted to get into politics, which is pretty funny now um, <laughs> that I helped bend our constitution in Michigan. But, you know, the, in Michigan in particular, uh, we had the Flint water crisis and was one of the root causes of that was there was a law passed in Michigan called the emergency manager law that the people of Michigan actually voted to get rid of. They gathered petitions, put it on the ballot and said, hey, our legislature passed this bill, but we want to get rid of it. And then our newly gerrymandered in state level House and Senate ended up basically finding a loophole to reinstate the law, even though the people of Michigan had sent a very clear mandate that they didn't want it. And that law changed local control. It made it so that the governor could appoint somebody to make basically financial decisions for a city instead of the residents, which leads to the water being switched over and then accidentally an entire city getting poisoned with lead, where then if you were in Michigan, you just saw elected officials pointing to each other. There was a real lack of leadership, a real lack of accountability. And really, with this decision that was founded and could have been prevented if we hadn't had switched and put that law back into place. And there was a lot of things that, from paying attention to local politics, you know, you'd hear about how the people of Michigan feel and how either much more conservative or much more liberal ideas were actually getting passed at the state level, and I was just really confused, and the more I dug into it, the more I saw that really, we had a really severe gerrymandering problem in Michigan, where, you know, politicians, depending which ones happened to win the election right before the census, would carve up a voting map, not based on how can the people of Michigan get actual representation in our state capital Lansing or in Washington, D.C., but how can they try and manipulate those lines to benefit themselves and their political party? And that attitude was just really apparent. You know, I, I got to attend a couple of committee hearings for at the local level and just listening to even the way politicians talked about residents, it was so out of touch and it was so dismissive of real concerns that people do have and live with every single day. And I just was getting fed up. And the other thing too was, I think so much of politics had around vote for me because I'm better than the other person or vote for me because um, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And it all sounded so unrealistic because he, he, if you're paying attention, you knew about those systemic barriers like gerrymandering, money, and politics, a lot of things that hold a lot of these problems in place that aren't a simple talking point. And I think that instead of continuing to argue with friends and family about who the better option was to vote for, what really appealed to me was just saying, you know what, I'm tired of that. Let's just actually start fixing the system. So no matter who gets elected, hopefully, even if they are there for the right reasons, they want to do a good job, they're able to accomplish something. When right now it feels like we're not accomplishing much. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you you asked too, ask yourself why your Facebook post uh, resonated. Uh, were, were you surprised at the response you got? I mean, you, 
that's an excellent explanation for, you know, where you were at and, and what was yeah. causing your frustration. But were you surprised to see that so many people shared that frustration? I was, you know, because a big reason why, you know, I always voted and, and paid attention to that. But was a reason I was really unhappy with politics is because of that seeming disconnect. And then I made a Facebook post. I made plenty of Facebook posts. It's not like I thought this one would be special. And to see so many other people who were feeling that same frustration and who actually knew about gerrymandering and said, yeah, I cared about this for a long time. I didn't know there was anything I could do about it. Let's get started. It gave me a lot of hope because I had seen a lot of friends get really excited around the 2016 election, which I was really happy to see them getting registered to vote and going and standing in line to see candidates. And it was mostly around Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, who I think had pretty similar messages where they were talking about, you know, the system isn't working. We need to drain the swamp. We need to have the political revolution. We need to tear it down because it's so badly broken. And I think that being translated to a issue instead of just voting for a person who's saying they're going to do that to see so many other people really resonating with that idea which is kind of where I was at was really exciting and I wasn't expecting it because it had felt kind of like a lonely election of being somebody who was like hey you know I think there's there's other stuff on the ballot besides just the president but I got to meet some of those people all because of this Facebook post yeah that's interesting because gerrymandering is something that affects us here in Virginia but Frankly, a few years ago, I'd be surprised that, you know, that many people at all really understood the issue or, or had it. But uh, in Michigan, it was clearly something that people understood and wanted to do something yeah. about. Yeah, we're a really purple state, you know, over the different years. We have about 50 percent of our residents that vote Democrat, about 50 percent of our residents who vote Republican. And depending who shows up more in one election versus another, that's the way our state votes. And so Democrats and Republicans have taken advantage of the system. And I think just a lot of people have seen that, like, no matter who's in charge, it really doesn't seem like much is getting done either way. Or that's what a lot of voters, when I was talking to them, it sounded like. And I think the other thing with gerrymandering in particular right now with the amount of data that's being collected on everybody because of all these great devices in our life from cell phones to laptops, it's just gotten so extreme. And the calculations that can be done have gotten so precise that I think the problem has been more amplified the last 10 years than even decades before it, purely because we have the technology to manipulate these maps to benefit politicians and political parties even more so than we could before. Well, I guess... You know, what really surprises me or, or in, is intriguing is um, that the, the success you've had is really inspirational, that it was accomplished by ordinary citizens in, in spite of significant opposition from both uh, rivals that uh, perhaps were anticipated, as well as from groups that, that you would have thought would have been natural allies. But on the, on the first part, just on the ordinary citizens that, uh, you know, joined as volunteers— I understand that they came from all walks of life and all political persuasions in what turned out to be a tremendous effort. Reading a a bit about the the experience where you were able to, you needed to collect over 300,000 signatures in 180 days to put the measure on the the ballot. And um, I guess someone from, from the political realm was quoted as saying, normally this would require paid canvassers and a highly organized campaign. Uh, but voters, not politicians, had little money. And instead, you had thousands of dedicated volunteers. It, it's really quite a story. 
Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I think not ever being involved in politics before, it was super intimidating to feel like, how do how do you do this? But I think we all took the attitude of like, okay, we'll figure it out one step at a time. And although we haven't worked in politics before, it's not like we didn't have other jobs or skills or life experience that actually translates really well, which I think is kind of what you hope. You know, our, our constitution was designed and specifically in Michigan where the people are allowed to organize and gather petitions and get it on the ballot. So you hope that it, it's able to be done. But I do think that it hasn't been done in so long because there have been a lot of barriers put up but we took a lot of those skills that we had from everyday life and tried to apply it into okay how do we break down this big goal of 315,654 signatures in 180 days and make it realistic how many people does that take how many signatures per person you know how many um you know, how, how can we track these? Shipping's really expensive. Who happens to be driving to the other side of the state this week? And because first a couple, you know, tens of people, then a couple hundred, and then a couple thousand people actively decided that, you know what, for the next couple months, I'm going to pay attention to this. I'm going to try. And that is what made all of the difference. Enough people doing what they could, whether it was driving things, entering data, standing on a street corner, being able to talk to people about gerrymandering. Um, that's all what added up to being able to accomplish this. And it was truly inspiring on the ground, too, because I think I had graduated college a couple of years beforehand. I was feeling kind of cynical about the state of politics, especially after the Flint water crisis, and to see so many of my friends and neighbors and people I was just meeting for the first time being willing to to do this because they realized it was that important and they realized that nobody else was going to come and fix this for the people of our state was really inspiring and it reminded me of like what I always hoped that America was and, and patriotism could look like when you're learning about it in school. Um, it felt really like we were willing to stand up and correct things because people just knew it was wrong, that it shouldn't be done to anybody regardless of what political party, and that it was damaging our political system. Well, you really um, made others kind of sit up and take notice, I understand. Uh, I, I read in one of the interviews with you that they talked about organizers from around the country after after your victory, uh, including traditional political campaigns, they took notice and admitted that uh, they had not believed that a model based on citizen input involving thousands of volunteers could work. But but you proved yeah. that it could. Yeah, there was a really cool thing that happened. You know, when you uh, – so this all got started because I made a Facebook post and, you know, was not anticipating that to happen. So when you accidentally start a political movement with a Facebook post, you do grab a couple headlines. And the really cool thing that happened is we started having people from across the country reaching out saying, you know what, I care about gerrymandering in my state. Or, you know, it's always bothered me, money and politics. And I, I didn't realize I could do something about it. And I – I thought a lot about that, and I think, and this is just my own theory, but, and why I, it's not like I was doing this before either, but I think we, a lot of the political messages we get are very much geared towards what can somebody else do for you? Give us your, donate to our organization because then we will, you know, lobby to get this legislation changed. Vote for me because then I will make sure that this happens. 
yet these things really do require, especially if you're going to do it with all citizens, thousands of people not depending on somebody else to do it, but stepping up and doing what they can. But it's just not a story we hear often. It's not a story that anybody ever invites us to the table to be a part of besides just asking for a vote or for a dollar. And so to see then all these other people who are getting inspired and saying, I don't know what I was waiting for, but seeing you guys do that, I mean, maybe it's not impossible. And I think that's a really big kind of mental shift that I've seen made that a lot of people are now starting their own campaigns. People decide to run for local office because they're like, always thought that they had to be way more prepared than they were. And they were realizing, but I am concerned about my community now. And maybe I do have those skills um, and I'm ready to at least try. And that's what we saw a lot. And yeah, I think a lot of the more traditional organizations, they've got to be risk averse in some ways and they've got to make their own bets. But I, I think a lot of them discount that people could care. But I really think it's how do we talk to people? How do we help them find a place that isn't just stuffing envelopes, but is taking the skills and lessons and life experience that all of us have and applying that to how we end up passing something or, or creating a better um, solution to the policy that you're that you're passionate about? Yeah. Well, I understand, too, that as you were kind of getting started, that you were surprised by the political and nonprofit establishment uh, not really giving you the time of day. Were, were they the ones that you yeah. initially reached out to? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think it, it makes sense, too, again, like if I heard about a random, you know, internet group of people who wanted to go amend the Constitution, I'd probably be a little skeptical, too. But I also think that traditionally, you know, engagement has been low. I think it's back on the rise again, if I'm reading the data correctly, but it has been on the decline. And so I think a lot of organizations have come to have their default assumption be, we've got to do all the work and make it as easy as possible for people to step up and use their time wisely, which again is really smart, but you can do so much more if you allow people into that decision-making room, the room where it happens, whether it's planning out how to make a campaign successful, writing policy language, being able to actually be those decision makers in Congress. When you can add transparency and allow people to have their voice at the table too, I think there's a lot more power to that than we use right now. And, and maybe it's because I like grew up with the internet every day and I'm really used to being able to like just access things or talk with my friends across the country or across the world, you know, with the click of a mouse and typing of a keyboard. But I just think that it's not a strategy used very often yet. People in my generation are so used to, I'm so used to like a collaborative work environment where we're all needing to, or able to give input, even if we aren't the exact expert in it. And I've seen how that can lead to better solutions. Yeah, no, that's impressive. I guess an aspect of this, uh, Katie, was also uh, whether you were going to be nonpartisan. I think you mentioned earlier that gerrymandering is something that both parties have practiced uh, over time in different states, maybe not in Michigan. But uh, tell me tell me a bit about your position or volu- voters, not politicians, position with respect to it being bipartisan, nonpartisan, your relationship with the political parties. sometimes more than the other or have 
really strong beliefs that might line up with policy agendas for one or the other. But that's not why what I want my government concerned about. Like, I'd much rather have my government working towards how do we find solutions and solve problems for people and um, do what we expect out of government rather than having one side win over another. And so I thought, if I'm going to do this on top of my day job, on top of, you know, school and all the other stuff that I was doing, I really want to work on something that I can believe in. And I don't see a lot of that right now. And, and the other thing was the election was right before Thanksgiving. And I was thinking about going to Thanksgiving dinner and I didn't want to go because my family had gotten very (laughs) talkative about politics when we never had before. And it was these ugly conversations about who voted for who, even though when I was listening to what everybody was saying, we were arguing for a lot of the same ideas. And so when thinking about, okay, if we're going to actually fix this system, we need to do it right. It was very clear for me from day one that we were going to create a solution that wasn't going to advantage or disadvantage any Michigan voter based on who they voted for. Um, And that resonated, too. That was the really cool part. And I I even said, you know, there's lots of other Facebook groups that can do this for political reasons or, uh, you know, and that's fine. And please feel free to join those. But that's not what this space is going to be used for, because I want to be able to actually just trust that we can fix the system in a way that's good for everybody. And the important thing, I think, to just realize with any kind of legal change that you're doing or policy type of change you're doing, this is going in the Michigan Constitution. Yes, it can be changed again. Another group can come and amend it. And at some point, maybe there'll be a new system where it would make sense to do that. But if this is going to impact year after year of elections, decades of elections at a time, we really need to make a policy that's thinking long term and thinking about what do the people in the future even want reflected in this so that they can still make representation look like how they want it to. And if you're just thinking about how one political party might benefit right now, I, I, it's just such a short-sighted notion that I think you'd be coming up with the wrong, the wrong solution. Yeah. It, but uh, I, I guess you did, I understand that you did, um, uh, survive a legal challenge that went all the way up to the Michigan Supreme Court to keep the the proposition off the ballot. Who was behind that? Yeah, yeah and that's another scary thing that, you know, I'm not used to being sued all the time. <laughs> um, and when you're starting a political campaign, it's one of the tactics that is used. People are going to try and see, can they get favors passed in the court? Can we, you know, get their resources depleted because it's expensive. It's, it's a very traditional tactic used to stop people from being able to make change. And so the Michigan Chamber of Commerce at the state level in Michigan were the ones who backed that lawsuit, really because they're one of the largest lobbying firms in our state. And if redistricting looks more fair, if we have more competitive elections, they're probably going to be spending more money on elections to influence them, would be my guess. That's not what they came out and said. I think they said that, you know, they didn't think that this was the right solution. So a pretty established organization, too, um, that up until that point, I didn't really realize how uh, political they were. But that's because I wasn't paying much attention to politics, honestly. Do do you think uh, what's the likelihood that, uh, say, the, the legislature will overturn or otherwise undermine the work of the commission and the amendment to the Constitution? But one of the political games that's being played right now is, oh, how do we underfund this so it's not successful and then voters aren't happy with it, which is really a shame. Um, Part of why we went with the constitutional amendment, though, this might be a little too in the weeds, but 
there were a lot of people who had worked on things like overturning that emergency manager law that I had mentioned earlier, who are really discouraged in Michigan because they have worked before just to have the people who are paid with their own tax dollars to represent them say, you know what, we think we know better and we're going to change this. So a lot of people are like, I don't want to work on something that's not going to lead somewhere. So there's, you can do a state statutory law or a state constitutional amendment. And in Michigan, a constitutional amendment means that only the people of Michigan can actually vote to fully overturn that language which is the really cool and important part that if this changes again, it will only be because the people of Michigan voted to make that happen. It's more signatures, it's more money, it's more effort, but it's definitely worth it to make sure that we could have that protection. Um, the other thing is, you know, political parties right now, unfortunately, work to game the system. That is their default setting. How can we try and, you know, go against the intentions of this and make it work for us? So they might try and have people attend the meetings who they've been talking to who might represent themselves not accurately, you know, saying, hey, this is how I think the map should be drawn. But we really tried to write the language as um, learning from other states who had passed similar efforts as bulletproof as we could, where we could try and think about as many different ways that you could try and manipulate it and, and keep that at bay. And the budget, like I said, is one of the ways where you can underfund it so maybe they can't be as effective as possible. But the other really great thing about trying to pass an initiative or actually passing an initiative with thousands of people across the state, including people in all of the counties in Michigan, is we have a lot of people watching. There's lots of laws that get passed every day where there's so much to keep up with. Not all of us can keep up with every single part of it, but there are a lot of people who've invested time and energy and money in this. And so making sure that their legislators know that we're watching has been another big part of the strategy for after actually getting this passed. Well, is that a role that uh, voters, not politicians, will continue to play? I mean, I know that you've moved on to a new organization, and I do want to ask you about that. But um, in terms of voters, not po- not politicians, do you see a continuing role? What, how, completely. How? Yeah, completely. And, and so there's that lawsuit strategy that I was mentioning earlier. They're trying that again. The attorney general in Michigan has said that the case is without merit. So we'll have to see where that goes. And we knew as soon as we started doing research on like, what do these things look like? We knew that that was going to happen. So hopefully that gets dismissed, but voters, not politicians is absolutely critical to still defending this policy, even though once again, the people of Michigan have sent a clear mandate saying they want this through the ballot box. And the other thing is that's like more on a positive end is for the very first time in our state, millions of people are going to be invited into a process that used to happen behind closed doors with a couple highly paid consultants making decisions that impact elections 10 years at a time. Because the census only comes up once every 10 years, these one set of lines impact 10 years of elections at a time. And so we're really, or Voters Not Politicians is really trying to talk to our neighbors and telling them how they would make great commissioners, letting them know that this is a new thing that people can apply for. And also making sure people know that this solution involves a lot of community input. And so making sure that we're going to not only let people know these opportunities are happening, but let them know how, what does it look like when you go and talk about what, how you want these lines to be drawn? It's, it's a conversation most of us have never been able to be a part of in a really authentic way. And so making sure that people actually know what that is so that it can be successful is a really big part of what we want to do too. Right. Not passing it is great, but you know, if nobody actually uses this new system that has a lot more transparency, that involves a lot more people from the community, then it doesn't matter that we passed it anyways. So that's why I want to make sure that it's successful. Yeah. 
and I guess uh, also outside of Michigan, especially with the Supreme Court uh, ruling that came out uh, this past June, seems that it's going to be left up to the state state legislatures or independent commissions like what you've established in Michigan. I, I suppose as a result of that, more states are going to be uh, looking at uh, your experience in, in uh, Michigan, uh, especially with the census coming up and redrawing uh, the districts uh, coming up over the next uh, in the next couple of years. Yeah. I guess uh, to what extent do you feel that uh, voters, not politicians, are, are being approached by other states to learn about your experience and to, to, to draw on it? There's so much work to do in Michigan to not only defend and make sure we have an amazing independent citizens redistricting commission, but also we have a lot more people who've now been through the political process and have a lot more ideas of what are some of these systemic reform issues that aren't being addressed because they're just politically unpopular that maybe the people need to address instead if our legislators aren't going to. So when I was looking at the end of the election, there were so many barriers to getting started from knowing how to set up a ballot initiative committee to being able to be in compliance with all the different uh, fundraising laws around campaigns. Uh, that if, again, if you've never done it before, it's just kind of hard to get and wrap your mind around. And the other thing was, you know, we didn't know who to know. We didn't know how the system fully worked on the inside, which is really important when you're putting together strategy to pass something. And so we wanted to take a lot of the lessons that we learned, a lot of the infrastructure and the um, things that we wish we would have we would have done differently so we could have saved a lot of time on and help other people who are trying to make change in their state, whether it's redistricting or something else. And so the people, is, which is what I started to help do that, has really been focused on trying to help other states and people in their communities who want to work on democracy reform issues in a nonpartisan way where they see actually a lot of value in being able to bring people together instead of driving them apart. And the other thing that's come out is uh, we were featured in a documentary called Slay the Dragon, which I think will be coming out soon, but that's been playing at some film festivals right now. And the really cool part then, too, is that you have a lot more people realizing that they can actually do something about redistricting. So I've been talking to people um, who reached out to us from that, too. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. I've read uh, a bit about the, the people and been on your website and have signed up. I guess uh, I, I, I think uh, we'd be interested to, to hear from you how you feel the people sets itself aside, uh, apart from, say, a number of other nonpartisan democratic reform groups, grassroots groups like, uh, say, Represent Us, Unite America, American Promise. There are over 100 groups I've seen in in one count around the country trying to get involved. Um, how do you distinguish what the people's approach is from these other organizations? And, and yeah, what, what? and I think a lot of those organizations are doing really great work that's extremely complementary, and they're some of our partners too. So love hearing that. You know, I think there's a lot as I've been able to have this experience and talk to lots of people across the country. There are a lot of us who are just fed up, who don't want to have to be involved in politics all of the time, who would love it where if we could be informed voters, that could actually make a difference. (laughs) But I think a lot of us realize right now that that's not enough. And that right now, we've let our country for the last several decades continue to kind of be manipulated 
and we have a system failure when it comes to accountability with politicians, when it comes to being able to get these basic services that we need, uh, like clean water. And so the people is trying to just meet people where they're at, where they're at that frustration and they know they want to do something, but they maybe aren't sure what the actual root cause of their problem is, or they want to get connected with other people who care about the same issue that they did. Much like me, where I initially wasn't really connected to a lot of people who cared about gerrymandering, but then put out a Facebook post that got me connected to them. That was, that was most of it, you know? And so we want to be a facilitator connecting people on issues they care about and helping people navigate, okay, what does it look like to make a change on this? What does it look like to go and talk to my neighbors about what a solution to money and politics looks like? What are my policy option how do you start a ballot initiative what does that look like and we are really forming a community of people who want to do that in a way that takes into account lots of different perspectives and builds community that way that sounds really great katie and i i noticed that uh you'll be speaking at uh, this weekend at the national citizen leadership conference which i'll be attending so i hope to meet you in person oh, great. Uh, this, that would be awesome. this weekend <laughs> and i i also noticed that uh, uh the people ha- uh, is prioritizing two or three state initiatives uh, at this point, and Virginia is being one of them. And yes. uh, I, I've been uh, c- kind of active with uh, American Promise and Represent Us here. In fact, we've uh, just recently put together a Facebook group uh, to kind of uh, make it easier to uh, for, for the 15 or so groups that we're aware of. We have Fair Vote Virginia. We have uh, one Virginia 2021 that's focused on gerrymandering. Unfortunately, in Virginia, ballot initiatives aren't allowed, so that gets a little bit more complicated to, to fight the gerrymandering here. But in any, in any event, there's some 15 groups active one way or another focusing on different issues, anti-corruption being the principal one. But uh, it'd, be, it'd be great if we, we have a few minutes at the uh, conference this weekend to kind of introduce ourselves to you and uh, learn a little yeah. bit more about what your plans are for Virginia. That would be great. Yeah, because right now, what basically we have some people who are really concerned on the ground about civic engagement. How does how do we make that keep up with the 21st century problems that we have right now and, and not just leave people behind because there's so much to know and worry about and, and especially around how do we get younger people uh, being involved in designing a civic system that keeps up with them too. And so right now they're touring around the state, just trying to talk to other Virginians about what does it look like for them? What are their opinions? How do they feel? What do they want in a solution? Do they want to be a part of the solution? Yeah, no, I think this is a perfect time. And in fact, apart say from one Virginia 2021 and their very specific focus in on gerrymandering, many of the other groups are, are really just kind of getting a feel for it. And um, oh, awesome. okay. I mean, this is a perfect time to be talking strategy and yeah. how can we work together. So I, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Great. Well, um, I, I also noticed from your article in the Fulcrum, I saw it a couple of days ago, that you're going to be focusing in on interviews with other reformers and what we, what you can learn from that and our, our fellow Americans working to better our country. That's, in fact, something that I've been trying to do with my own website and telling telling stories like the one about the badass grandmas in North Dakota, yes. who was, they were on the panel with you at the uh, Unrig Summit uh, in Nashville yeah, earlier this year. Awesome. 
But anyway, I, so I look forward to, to reading about this, the interviews and stories that you tell about Yeah, others. and I'd love to check out your work, too. I mean, I think one of the, when we've, so we took a lot of time, not only by being in the campaign and going through the experiences that we did and, and running into all those barriers, but one of those other questions I've been reflecting and asking myself was really like, I think I realized pretty quickly that, yes, gerrymandering was one of these problems, but actually even just the whole process was the problem. The fact that we have politicians whose default setting is, how do I game this? And the fact that, like, it is such an impossible thought to think that people could start from scratch and be able to make that. I mean, it's just a, it's sad to me that that is, like, the reality that we live in right now. And so when we have been thinking about, you know, why is this system failing? What are the levers? holding it in place. And one of the biggest things I we've identified is really that there's not a lot of regular people, quote unquote, voices being highlighted. There's not a lot of regular people in the room. There's a lot of the experts. There's a lot of the people who are always working in the political space, but the actual people who are impacted by these decisions are so infrequently just talked to directly. Like they're talked to through polls, which can tell you aggregate information, but it's such like, it's not a, not, not an engaging process. And so that's why I'm really excited to be able to highlight different individual stories because I think we just don't hear from them necessarily enough. Not that the other stories that are written are extremely interesting too, but I just think we've somehow lost lost that actually on the ground um, voice in a lot of these conversations. So, well, that's why your story is so important, Katie. And uh, thank you so much for making the time. The American leader uh, wants to try wants to get those stories out. Great. So it, 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 it was uh, it was fantastic that you agreed to, to meet with us. I guess, you know, just to kind of end on a on an upbeat note. Well, this has been very upbeat. I, I shouldn't say it that way. <laughs> but I, I guess uh, for a lot of millennials uh, that are turned off by politics and see the system as being rigged, um, you know, you you tapped into that frustration and you, you, you found an amazing response of people willing to volunteer uh, but what about the ones that are just really turned off? What's what's your kind of closing message? Your story is so inspiring, but you know, if you had a chance to speak to uh, people that just really are frustrated, but they, their their response to date has been uh, to to just turn out, tune tune out, and turn off. Yeah, there are so many countries right now that do not even allow people to vote on such major decisions or where maybe an entire gender can't vote or they can't speak out against their government without being worried that they're going to be killed for it. And our country is screwed up and it does have a lot of problems, but throughout history, even from the beginning, the only way we have ever gotten better is when people realize that they have to roll up their sleeves and do it themselves. And I think our generation really lives that every day. There's a lot, of, there's plenty of problems we've inherited. And I think recognizing that if we don't step up and do something about it, nobody else is going to is really, really important. And knowing that you don't have to be an expert in order to try. It, it, you should still listen to people and engage and find other people who care about this too. But the frustration that you're feeling and the importance that you're feeling that makes it feel so overwhelming is important. But if we don't translate it into action, then we're really taking advantage of the privilege we have to even live in a country where we have the opportunity to try and fix it. 
I think the other thing too is that, you know, I, I think there's some quote and I wish I knew who it was from. I really should figure it out. But you know, it's like, it's our democracy if we can keep it. It was one of the founding fathers, maybe John Adams, but, but I think that's just an other interesting thing that our form of government was an experiment from day one. And when people disengage we just let those other voices become louder when when there are only lobbyists in a room helping raise awareness for their important issues but nobody else has shown up then of course those are the only voices politicians are hearing and i think that we have innovative ways of being able to collaborate and connect to each other and i think a lot of us are pretty wanting to reach out to other people and be able to connect in that way and those are really big gifts that I think we can contribute to the space and there's a place for you too and and if you can't find one then find one of the organizations who I'm sure can plug you in like the people but also don't be unafraid to create your own and to talk to other people and say you know what instead of just accepting that this is crappy and that's why I don't want to talk anyways what if we say yeah it's crappy and I'm going to do something about it and do you want to do something about it too yeah I don't want to vote because the system sucks and is corrupt but like I'm going to then try and make it less corrupt. And there are ways to do that from policy changes to shifting power dynamics to just changing the voices that are in the room. All of those things add up to those changes. And so I hope that I, I totally get the frustration. I totally get wanting to just be disengaged. But even if you have one hour a week to be helping with the solution, now is the time to do that. Because if we don't fix it now, we're just giving it to the next generation in an even worse state. Well, that's a powerful message. Um, I hope that we can help spread your story and, and reach as many as possible to, to understand what you've accomplished. It's really a tremendous success. Yeah, very, the very great inspiring. thing I've seen too is there's there's plenty of people who do care. I mean, there's I think this story going around about how people don't care, they're disengaged. And I think a lot of people are disengaged because it does feel so overwhelming because it does feel like so much is wrong, but that doesn't mean they don't care. Disengagement does not mean they don't care. It actually means they care a lot and they just don't know what to do about it. And that's what's inspiring to me because I think the more we can talk about what are the ways we can make change, who are the other people who want to actually step up and do something about this, the sooner we all get connected and find each other, I think the sooner we can start creating a, a system and a society that we can have trust in again, which I think is one of the biggest things. How do we trust these big systems? And I think we, we build it ourselves every day. Great. Great. That's a great point to end on, Katie, but let me give you a chance. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you about your story that you would particularly like to, to tell our audience? Yeah, I, mean, I think I maybe covered this in one of the questions, but um, I just can't emphasize enough how much every single person who decides to get involved and to care and to learn about an issue and be able to contribute in whatever way from data analysis to gathering petitions matters. I would have been in a Facebook group alone if nobody else had liked this and also said, hey, yeah, I want, I, I'm willing to give up my weekend to talk about how we improve democracy. And if other people don't do that, if we don't all figure out what are the ways we can contribute, even though it's hard to figure that out, I think we will continue to stay in this place. And the really amazing thing, though, is that because thousands of people were willing to do what they could when they could from time, energy, money, creativity, paying attention to one issue over several years, which gets hard, it feels really hard to do sometimes. Like Because of all of that, that is why we were able to be successful. Because thousands of people stopped when we were asking them to sign a petition to hear about our proposal and took the time to not just rush aside. Because 
millions of people decided to show up on November 6th to actually go to the ballot box and vote. That is the only reason and the only way that we were able to make this change happen. And I hope to continue to see even more and more people realizing the power that they do have, even if they don't, aren't secret, you know, billionaires who can just fund whatever they want. That's okay, because there are a lot of us who still really, really care and can take a lot of action uh, with the resources and time that we do have. Fantastic. Fantastic. Katie, I just wanted to mention again what you said about uh, the video, the film, uh, Slay the Dragon. We'll be looking for that and learn even more about your amazing story. Uh, Any uh, guidelines on, on where to look for that film? Pictures purchased it, so you can maybe look on their website. I think it's uh, got a release date coming in the spring, I want to say. I know it'll be, if you're in Michigan, it'll be in the Lansing Film Festival. I think it was just in a Virginia Film Festival, too. But any local film festivals, um, even if they're still planning what they're doing, you can always uh, put in a request to say, hey, I heard there's this really great documentary that explains gerrymandering and what you can do about it. So you can find it that way, too. But it should be hitting theaters within the next year. So. Great. Well, Katie, I really look forward to meeting you in person uh, this weekend. And uh, I, I should also mention that George Linzer, who is the, the founder of the American Leader site that's going live on November 5th, um, he uh, appreciated your uh, willingness to, to speak with me today as well and uh, would also look, look forward to learning more about the people and your future activities and how uh, we can yeah. we can we can try to uh, stay in touch on that and and let people know more about it. Yeah, that would be great. I'm and thank you, like I said, for the opportunity to let us know how we can help highlight things too. And Matt will who you were, who you were already talking to. He will uh, if you want to send email for like when you're planning to be at the conference and all that. I think I'm just in that day. I think I think I like fly in at like six a.m. and I like leave at like nine p.m. I'm coming back to Washington though too, but I think I think I'm just in for that day. So if you want to email him, I'm sure we can still find a time when both of us can sneak out of whatever session or whatever and and chat because I'd love to be able to talk in person too. Great, Katie. You, I think it goes both days, Saturday and Sunday. Do you know which which of those days you're referring to? I'll, um, I'll check with Matt. Okay. I think it's Sunday, but it could be Saturday. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not sure. The top no, of my head. No. No problem. No problem. Um, I just know I'm going to Boston immediately after. So that's <laughs> <all>. <laughs> it's a busy. It's a busy time. Should I also ask Matt, perhaps, uh, for uh, contacts with uh, the folks from the people that are active here in Virginia? That might also be something for us to try to arrange some kind of a meetup. Yeah. Probably would more so if you mention it. I can include her, or it's s a r a h at the people dot org. But in that email, if you just mention that, we can connect you for sure. Sarah on my team is the one who's managing the different state pilot projects right now. Okay, sounds good. Great. <laughs> well, thanks so much, awesome. Katie. I'm so excited, and I'd love to. Yeah, and I'd love to hear more too when we're there or whatever about what you guys are working on, what you're thinking about. Because another big part of like what we recognized was like 
part, finding authentic partners who just want to like do the work because it's good work. And maybe I shouldn't say it that way, but it was harder than I thought, which is one of the questions that you kind of asked, but it was a lot like a lot harder than I thought. And we're really hungry to find the right way to do that. That just helps everybody because we're, you know, it makes sense and it helps drive solutions faster and all of that. So I'd love to be able to connect on that because we're doing, we're doing some stuff, especially at the National Institute for Civil Discourse. I don't know if you know them, but I think they're awesome. They're really great partners. And a couple others in Virginia, I think Make America Dinner Again or something like that. And one other one. So, okay. I'm not, I'm not familiar with them, but I look forward to, to uh, sounding them out. Yeah, our, our experience, um, not to go on, and, and I know you, you have a busy schedule, but uh, our groups, you know, meeting, we were quite surprised to see how your Facebook post went viral and, and the and the turnout. We have some problems here in Virginia, but um, getting people mobilized, and, and perhaps that's where we'd benefit from some dialogue with you about strategy and how to kind of take it forward, because there, there are a number of groups, but I, we think that there would there's the potential for getting many more people involved. Uh, yeah, around a specific and I know activity. for us on the ground, we've had like a lot better response to in more rural Virginia. It seems like a lot of voters feel really left out. Uh, I think it's north northern. Would that be the correct? I am like so not familiar with Virginia. One of the directions that is more rural <laughs> in general, north. Northern, yeah, Virginia, the, the Northern, Northern Virginia is bluer and, uh, you know, it, it is really the suburbs of D.C., whereas the okay, rural so part is more the south, I mean. Maybe I mean the southern, southern part. Yeah, the southern yeah, part of the more state. Southern than, we have a lot more conservative volunteers right now than Democrat in Virginia. But I think, anyways, wherever they live, some Southern probably, they're fighting, they're, we've held a couple of meetings and there's a much bigger response because it's and, and the tone just seems like some people feel like, you know, oh, we just get ignored because we're not D.C. or whatever it is. And so I see a huge opportunity in Michigan. We found a huge opportunity with that, too, with people who lived in more northern, that's probably why I said northern, more northern rural Michigan, where politicians just don't even go there because not a lot of people live there. But it doesn't mean there are people who don't really care and would love to be a part of something that, that are there and who you know, we'll work just as hard, if not harder than any other person. So anyways, yeah, would be happy to talk. And I know that's some of the conversations we've already had in, in yeah. Virginia. Yeah. Bridging that divide is really important for us because they, whether you're Republican or Democrat, they, the popular, the surveys show that, you know, they're against uh, money in politics. Yeah. And uh, so <laughs> our anti-corruption proposed amendment and such is, is really something that both parties can get behind. But unfortunately, it's almost uh, a exclusively a blue issue at this point. So we're struggling to, to see how we here in Northern Virginia can, can reach out. And we do have a few representatives in, in the Southern part of the state, but getting it to be a nonpartisan uh, and crossing that divide is, is one of the challenges we face. Yeah. Yeah. I think we could be really good partners on that then. So. Great. Okay, cool. Katie. Well, thank you. I'll right, let you well, go. I'll see you this weekend then. <laughs> Alrighty. Travel safe. Okay. Take care. Right. Yep. Yep. Bye. Bye. For our listeners, you can read about Katie's inspiring story on the American Leader website at theamericanleader.org, as well as on the Democracy for Change org website. You can also read about how gerrymandering fits into the broader context of voting rights and voter suppression in America on theamericanleader.org website. 
For more information on Katie Fahey's new organization, The People, and how to get involved, visit thepeople.org. Thanks for listening.